0: Last Sunday night was the Emmy Award Ceremony, which celebrates what they claim is excellence in the television industry. I don't know if you heard in the news or not, but the big winner on the night was the series Game of Thrones, as it received a record-breaking 12 Emmys, the most any series has ever won in a single year. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Game of Thrones, but if you don't, it's filmed actually in Northern Ireland. And it's an epic fantasy series and has attracted huge audiences. It is the most popular HBO show ever in the States. And has many passionate fans, including the US President. Last year, the official Twitter account of the White House tweeted a Photoshop picture of Mr. Obama on the Iron Throne of, uh, from the series. And there have even been reports of Obama has asked For advanced copies of the series. To watch it before anybody else has. But not that I would advise anybody to watch that series. Now I haven't ever seen it. okay? So what I'm basing my judgement on is what other people have written about it. Reviews of it and things like that. But I think most people who have seen it. Would agree that this series has pushed the boundaries on what is acceptable as entertainment. The level of brutal violence, torture, sexual immorality, and in particular sexual violence against women, has brought a huge amount of criticism. And here it is getting 12 Emmy Awards as the pinnacle of excellence in television. Now we're not here this morning to start a campaign of boycotting a certain TV series. Game of Thrones is not the only thing on our TV that we would be concerned about or that we might choose not to watch. But I mention it this morning as a reminder of the kind of world that we live in this, eh, just now. We don't only live in a sinful and, and sin-drenched and evil world where horrific things happen out there. But because of the advance of technology and the direction of the entertainment industry, we can also bring the graphic images of those things right into our living rooms and into our hearts and into our minds. And this makes living the blessed life incredibly difficult because Jesus described what the blessed life looks like in his beatitudes and his sixth beatitude it stands in a marked contrast with the world that we live in today so we to read it from Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8 it says this blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God Let's read that again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When we read the Gospels, I think it's so easy to end up feeling kind of jealous of the disciples. you ever felt jealous of the disciples as you read through the Gospels? Of course, I don't think I could do without the, the technology or the luxury of living in 2015. And no matter how much we complain about the state of our society, or our health service, or our government, it's still a whole lot better than Rome-dominated Israel. But for a while at least, I think, I think many of us would be willing to put up with some of those inconveniences and those problems for the privilege of seeing God. Could you imagine what it would be like to be able to write things like this? The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. As the disciples spent time with Jesus, as they watched Him interact with other people, as they listened to His teaching, witnessed His miracles, shared with Him their problems, Learned from his example. Experienced his love and his friendship. They had the unbelievable privilege of seeing God. Because Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The disciples of Jesus were so privileged. They were so blessed. And yet in this beatitude, Jesus promised that this can be our experience. Because the blessed will see God. They will know God. They will spend time with him. They will enjoy His love and His friendship and His care. They will have an intimate relationship with Him. They will experience what our hearts were made for and what we ultimately long for. This is what David expressed in Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. And for those who are blessed, they can experience a measure of this right now. Jesus promised that there are those who will know the reality of, the, of God in their lives on earth. John chapter 14 verse 23, He promised, My Father will love Him and we will come to Him And make our home with Him. By faith, the blessed will see God in their lives right now. They will believe that God has come to live in them by His Holy Spirit. They will experience His love and His acceptance. They will listen for His voice. They will receive His care and His provision. They will be upheld by His everlasting arms. They will see him at work in his life and through their life. This is the promise of a life-changing relationship with God. Today we might not be able to see Jesus with our eyes as the disciples did. But we can know that he is with us in an even closer relationship. As Jesus said, surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. But none of us see God perfectly now. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 12, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. No matter how much we seek after God, on this side of eternity, there will always be some limitation in our experience of God's presence. For everybody. Sometimes the blessed will experience his closeness. Sometimes they will experience uh, this, this intimacy with him. Sometimes they will hear his voice. Sometimes they will just be overwhelmed with his love. But sometimes even though they stand on his promises even though they will read his word and pray in faith, sometimes they will still feel far away sometimes they might struggle to feel his presence at all sometimes they will struggle to feel his touch or to know his will or to experience his love but God's promise is that the blessed will one day experience his presence without any restrictions Paul went on to say in this verse, Then we shall see face to face. When Jesus returns and brings us into heaven to be with him forever, our eyes will be fully opened. We will see Jesus in all his glory. And we will know him fully in our lives. And we'll dwell with him forever. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So this is the promise for those who are blessed. For now they can live with the assurance that God is always with them, even when they cannot feel him close. But one day they will see him face to face and rejoice in the beauty of his presence for all eternity. What an amazing promise is included in this beatitude. But the question that we need to think about is who are these people who Jesus says will experience God's presence and power in their lives right now and will ultimately see God face to face? Who are those people who are truly blessed well, it's not what a lot of people think when it comes to this. Stories told about a nine-year-old boy called Joshua. He decided to skip church and go for a walk one Sunday morning. His mum had told him that if he'd skipped church, he would miss a chance to see Jesus. But Joshua had never seen Jesus before, so he didn't think he would be missing very much. Besides, his church was old and run down. Joshua's walk took him across the railway tracks in town where the houses were much bigger and nicer than in the area that he lived. Soon he found himself in front of the biggest, most beautiful church he'd ever seen. Everyone arriving there drove nice cars and wore fancy clothes. This must be the church where Jesus goes, Joshua told himself. It's so big and so nice. As he walked closer, he could hear the music from inside. Wow, said Joshua. I'll bet there are an angel singing to Jesus. He walked up the steps and entered the church. This must be where Jesus is. So he sat down to scan the crowd so he could find Jesus. Just then a large man in a black suit tapped him on the shoulder. Son, where do you live? The man asked. Down the hill, across the railway. And down that street, Joshua answered. And where are your parents? The man asked. Oh, they're probably at church right now. Joshua replied. Well, don't you think it would be better for you to go to your parents' church today? But I saw this church and I knew Jesus was here. So I came to see him. Well, son, it would be best if you would run home and go see Jesus in your own church. In your own area. You really can't stay here. Joshua got upset. He turned and ran out into the street, sobbing. He shouted, God, it isn't fair. All I wanted to do was see Jesus and they wouldn't let me in. Suddenly he heard footsteps from behind him, felt a hand on his shoulder. He turned around and stared in amazement. It was Jesus. Jesus smiled at Joshua, gave him a big hug and said, Don't be too upset, son. They wouldn't let me in there either. Attending the largest church with the most impressive music, the most inspiring services, that doesn't guarantee seeing Jesus. In fact, no amount of religious activity can bring us this blessing. Jesus didn't say blessed are those who go to church. He didn't say blessed are those who go to a certain kind of church either. In fact, we could attend church every single Sunday. We could read our Bibles daily. We could pray unceasingly. We could give all of our money away generously. And we could keep all the rules and regulations that we think we should or shouldn't do. And we could still fail to be blessed. The Pharisees, they were experts in ceremonial purity. They worked hard keeping all the literally hundreds of rules and regulations of the law that God had given to Moses. They were committed to their washing of their cups and making their sacrifices and giving to their, giving of their offerings and praying in the temple. And yet Jesus said that they were far from God. That's what he said in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness for all their religious activity and their dedication and their effort, the Pharisees did not see God because their rituals and their ceremonies couldn't clean what mattered most. The inside. The hearts. Because Jesus said the ones who will see God are the ones who are blessed because they are pure In heart. Being pure is about being uncontaminated with anything corrupt. It will be revealed in what we do and where we go and what we say. But it starts from a deeper place than that. It's about the inner core of our thoughts and our motives and our desires. It's about an undivided heart. In relation to other people, this means that we won't have ulterior motives. We won't seek to deceive or to manipulate. Instead, we will be transparent and sincere. In relation to God, it means we're going to be completely devoted to Him. There will be no hypocrisy, no deceit, no mixed motives, no conflicts of loyalty between God and the world. These are the ones who will see God. As David declares in Psalm 24, he says this, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. This isn't because God has imposed some arbitrary conditions on meeting him. He's not just being picky about this. This is because this is who He is. Our God is a holy God. Our God is separate from anything impure. And so those who come to Him, those who connect with Him, those who are in relationship with Him, must also be holy. Be holy, God says in Leviticus 19 and 2, because I, the Lord your God, I'm holy. If we are going to see God, we need to be totally set apart and committed to him right at the very core of our being. But this means that we have a huge problem. If all that we needed to, to see God was just to keep a list of rules and regulations. Attend church. Give money. Avoid some obvious wrong lifestyle choices. Then most of us would be fine, wouldn't we? With a bit of effort and a bit of dedication, most of us could get there. But if God is examining our hearts, if he is looking for purity and sincerity and total commitment and loyalty to him in every thought and every desire and every motive, then we are in trouble. Proverbs 20 and 9 says this, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure? I am clean and without sin. Anybody's hand want to go up? Certainly not mine. I think the answer is obvious to that, isn't it? There is no one righteous. Not even one, Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and 10. On our own, none of us have that totally pure heart. Our motives are so often mixed. Our loyalties are divided. At times we are completely dedicated to God and we sing those wonderful worship songs and commitment songs with everything within us. But too many times we've followed this world in our own desires. We have hearts that are tainted by sin. And so if it was up to us if it was all about what we could do and what we could achieve, then this beatitude would promise something wonderful. But it would promise something wonderful that would be always out of our reach. It would actually condemn us to be always separated from God. But of course we're here this morning to celebrate that it's not up to us. We can be among those who will see God. Because through Jesus, we can receive a new heart. A pure heart. A heart that loves God with every beat. This was a promise given to the prophet Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my, my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. When Ezekiel wrote down those words, he, he wasn't sure exactly how this, that would happen. But this has become a reality for us through Jesus. Because the blood of Of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. The moment that we trusted in Jesus and His finished work on the cross, God promises to remove our condemnation, to declare us righteous in His sight, to purify us once and for all, and for all time, from all of our sin and to give us a new heart that is totally committed to Him. And so the blessed are those who have admitted that they're not good enough for God. The blessed are those who have honestly faced up to the sin in their hearts. The blessed are those who have humbly bowed at the foot of the cross and have put their faith in the death of And the the resurrection of Jesus. And they've asked for his cleansing power. The blessed are those who have prayed, as David did in Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. And God is willing to do the same in our lives today if we have not yet received this new heart, then this can be ours right now. Through simple faith in Him, we can be instantly and fully cleansed of our sin and declared holy in God's sight forever. And then, and only then, does God call us then to go live it out in our everyday life. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. If we have trusted in Jesus, if we have been cleansed of our sin, if we have received this new heart, then God wants us to live out the reality of this. Not through a legalistic conforming to religious rules, but as an expression of our passionate and wholehearted commitment to expressing our love for him. It's a change that happens from the inside out. The Christian life is all about living out the change that God has already made in our hearts, in our lives. He calls us to live in the light because we are the children of the light. Not that that is easy in this corrupt and depraved world. If we're going to do that, we still need to be determined, determined about what we will and will not allow into our hearts. That's why often we need to switch off the TV or stop the video recorder, whatever it is, and not watch those things. We only need to stand against the call to be more liberal or to be more open-minded. We only need to resist the temptation to compromise and take the easier road. Because God calls us to live that holy life out. He calls us to live out the change He's already made in our hearts. But the great thing is we're not on our own in this struggle. We're not just left to our own devices. We have God's Son as our great high priest. Who always lives to intercede for us. What an amazing promise to know that Jesus is praying for us today. We have God's Spirit living within us. Transforming our hearts and empowering us to live out this new life to which we've been called. Paul calls us to live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Depend on the power of God living within us. And we have God's word in our hands to teach us, rebuke us, challenge us and train us in righteousness. How can a young man keep his way pure? Psalm 119 asks. And he answers, by living according to your word. Then it goes on in verse 11 to say, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And we have God's people. To encourage us to keep committed to God as we spur one another on toward love and good deeds. But because we have this new heart, we can also come right into God's intimate presence and approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. the question we're thinking about this morning is are we just going to follow this world where evil is often celebrated and rewarded and where good and pure is often ridiculed or are we going to be among those who are truly blessed are we going to put our faith in Jesus and allow him to purify our hearts and transform our lives so we can have the assurance of Of God's presence in our lives today. And to know that one day we will stand before Him face to face. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see